stand on the wing of this plane! There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the twilight zone. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm Bill, and welcome to episode seven of Nerd Stocking. Uh, with me tonight is Chad and Ross. Hi, I'm Chad. And I'm Ross. <laughs> Chad, Got something uh, caught in your throat there, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I think your underwear is on a little too tight there, Chad. Yeah, those underoos. <laughs> <laughs> underoos! Those Wonder Woman underoos are on a little... Uh, yeah, Chad's not here right now. He's uh, being We just heard him. Late. Sorry, that was it's the your, illusion. It's your... Yeah. It was a... Pretty accurate imitation <laughs> that you just did of him. Yeah. And uh, tonight we are indeed journeying into the Twilight Zone, which for my money is the greatest television show ever made. I don't know. Would you think that's too grandiose of a term, Ross? I don't think it's too grandiose a term. I wouldn't apply it to the Twilight Zone only because I think uh, what got to me first was Star Trek. So Star mm. Trek is my greatest fan. Uh, well, most uh, loved TV show of all time. Could but there, be, could there is so overlaps yeah. in the creative personnel, so we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll definitely get to that because there is. It was created by Rod Serling, of course, who was. Um, he had a pretty, you know, he was pretty famous before he did the Twilight Zone as a writer for television. That's he right. had written. Uh, they'd air on stuff like you know, Playhouse cra- yeah, exact craft. Craft Showcase, dinner theater, yeah. Or whatever. With real cheese slices, yeah. <laughs> craft dinner theater, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he had written, uh, uh, he uh, Patterns was one of them. He he wrote um, Requiem for a Heavyweight, I think it was another one that yeah. he had written. Yeah. And, uh, and he had gotten a name for himself as a writer on television, but the problem that Serling was facing is he's a contemporary writer, so he wants to deal with subjects that are affecting society at the time like racism and uh inequality you know and drugs and any number of things but every time he tried to put that into uh something he was creating he'd get blowback from the either the sponsors or the censors sure right yeah this was the era of leave it to beaver yeah you know the worst (laughs) thing that could happen is you got your new pants wet or you know muddy playing i mean they did not want to go anywhere near social right well that's the funny thing you mentioned that because uh the one i always think about when i think of those days is uh how on i love lucy when she was (laughs) pregnant she couldn't say that she was pregnant no she had they only could say that she's expecting yeah yeah and you know dick van dyke and mary tyler moore had separate beds Right. I did Lucy and Desi. Yeah, it, right. was, a, it was a very odd time right. uh, in the late 50s to be, a, to be a writer. And to try and get that kind of social commentary would have been right. impossible. Right. So Serling's idea is to um, couch all that in, the, in terms of the supernatural or fantasy or science fiction. And uh, by doing that, he could make very germane, pointed comments on society. But, you know, it's aliens. Right. And you know, it's the aliens that are being racist. Five, or, six years later, maybe Gene Roddenberry is inspired by that. Yeah. He did the same thing with Star Trek. That's true. The minute you put it into a science fiction construct, right. the network censors 
their brain disengages and they just say, oh, well, this is nothing to do with Vietnam. That's fine. Let's just put it on air. <laughs> Meanwhile. Right. It's called a taste of Armageddon yeah. in the episode, but you know, it's not working. Yeah. No Meanwhile, one's saying Vietnam. They've slipped in a whole bunch of stuff that got yeah. by. So yeah. That's a good point. I wonder yeah. if Roddenberry, in the research I had done, I hadn't I made, I hadn't made that connection that they sort of knew each other or had worked together. I've read a lot about the history of the- Like uh, uh, Roddenberry I, had done The Lieutenant- Right. Just before Star Trek, but yeah. he'd written a lot of westerns and police procedurals before that. He'd actually also same similar to Sterling yeah. had made a name for himself as a uh, not a contemporary writer, but as a uh, uh, fast and efficient writer, mostly with westerns, which were you know very popular. But right, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, think they they had any overlap. But yeah. the creative teams, the writers were similar, oh yeah, Robert sure, Block like, and Richard yeah. Matheson and uh, George Clayton Johnson. George I think. Clayton Johnson. I think yeah. he wrote. Well, he wrote uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Yeah, I'm just wondering if he wrote any Twilight Zone. I think he has. I think he's in there. Well, they were all of they were all of a bunch, and uh, you know what Roddenberry wanted to do is bring in um, science fiction writers. He didn't want to just get television writers. He wanted science fiction writers, which right. Serling also. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. So Serling created the show where he he was able to make those kind of pointed comments uh, in a genre show. And it ran for five seasons on CBS from 1959 to 1964. And uh, such is the impact of the show, even when it was being broadcast or or produced, um, it attracted a lot of talent. And uh, what I've got here is a list of some of the stars that appeared on uh, The Twilight Zone. So you might want to uh, just get comfortable in your chair. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have... Uh, and, it, and and remember, this is TV, and like we were just talking about, it's a different era. And TV really, for the most part, was considered slumming mm. by uh, people that had made their name as film actors, right? Unless gonna, they were in the twilight of their career, in which case yeah. it was a different Yeah, story, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you're Olivia de Havilland or something. Yeah. So the list is Jack Klugman, Robert Redford, Carol Burnett, Jack Warden, Dennis Hopper, Dennis Weaver, Burgess Meredith, Lee Marvin... Cliff Robertson, Anne Francis, Russell Johnson, uh, Martin Landau, Martin Balsam, Warren Oates, Rod Taylor, Roddy McDowell, Peter Falk, Buster Keaton, no less than four future officers of the Starship Enterprise, that's William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, George Takai, and James Doohan, appeared in episodes. Elizabeth Montgomery, Agnes Moorhead, Andy Devine, Barry Morris, Donald Pleasance, James Coburn, Robert Duvall, Mickey Rooney, Telly Savalas, James Whitmore, Jackie Cooper, Charles Bronson, Buddy Epson, Cloris Leachman, uh, director Sidney Pollack was in a role. You have Ron Howard, Burt Reynolds, Don Rickles, Adolf Hitler in stock footage. Right. <laughs> uh, Frank Overton, who uh, uh, you might recognize Ross uh, in his Trek reference. He was the uh, colony leader, Elias Sandoval, in the TOS episode, The Side of Paradise. Oh, yes, very, of course. One of my favorite. Yeah, he was the guy running the yeah. place. Yeah, it was into a fist fight with Kirk. Yeah, actually, he gets in a fight with McCoy. He and McCoy fight. Oh, that's because right. And they burn each other out. Yeah, yeah, no, Kirk and Spock fight. Yeah, exactly. Kirk tricks Spock into fighting to burn out yeah. the, uh, spores. the spores. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You have uh, Billy Mummy, William Winden, another Trek reference. Yeah. He was uh, Doomsday uh, Machine. Machine. Yeah, Decker, Decker uh, Admiral Decker, yeah. Commodore Decker, Commodore Decker. Yeah, James Best, who is. Uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane from uh, <laughs> coo, coo, coo. I'm gonna get those two boys. Uh, Hazard, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ed Wynn, Dick York, Simon Oakland, Claude Atkins, Dean Stockwell, Art Carney, who we mentioned in a previous yeah. 
Honeymooners. <laughs> Previous Honeymooners. Yeah. Maybe more more well-known for the Star Wars holiday special. Yes. Say. <laughs> no, um, I wouldn't say that. Uh, James Carradine, Kevin McCarthy, Keenan Wynn, Pat Hingle, Robert Lansing, David Wynn, Orson Bean, Vera Miles, Susan Oliver, Jonathan Winters, Wilfred Hyde-White, Marriott Hartley, Martin Milner, um, Struther Martin, you might recognize as the captain of the road prison 36 in Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. It's a guy that says, uh, what, what we, we have, have here, here is failure to communicate. Mm-hmm. Some men you just can't reach. It's also from the beginning of uh, Civil War by uh, uh, Guns N' Roses. Um, Richard Keel, otherwise known as Jaws from the James Bond films. Uh, James Broderick, who's Matthew Broderick's father. Patrick McNee, a.k.a. John Steed from the Avengers, the real Avengers. Right. Not these phony, uh-huh. underoo-wearing. Sure. Right. Um, we have Gene Marsh, Eileen Ryan, Ed Platt, who, of course, was chief of control. Uh, Get yeah, smart. Get smart, yeah. Uh, and Jillian, uh, Artie Johnson from Laughing, Lee Van Cleef, Bill Bixby. Courtship of Eddie's father. Yeah, or uh, or the Hulk. Sure, that too. <laughs> William Shallert, who Shallert? Yeah, William Shallert. Oh yes, also from uh, Star yeah, Trek. He was yeah. in uh, uh, Barris. Yeah, in, in uh, Trouble with Tribbles. Trouble yeah. yeah, the classic. Uh, Veronica Cartwright. Uh, he might remember from Aliens and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, Alan Napier. Yeah, Alfred, Alfred from Batman. Yeah. Uh, Michael Conrad. Oh yeah, man. who was. Uh, the guy um, who opened every episode of Hill Street Blues, he was the cop who would say, let's be careful out there. That was, oh yeah, that was. Uh, Burt Metcalf, he's uh, one of the producers of MASH. I guess he had an acting career when he started out. Julie Newmar, again, TV's Batman. She was Catwoman. John Aston, who was Gomez Adams in the Adams Family. Uh, Doug McClure. Oh yeah. yeah. Like I always remember from every Simpson episode. Yeah. He was uh the inspiration for um uh what's his name? Troy Troy, Troy McClure. McClure. Yeah. You might remember me from such yeah. films as Today We Live, Tomorrow We, we die. die, and Francis the Groovy Mule. Yeah. <laughs> and uh uh Robbie the Robot from uh Forbidden Planet and Lost in Space. Oh, yeah, Danger Will Robinson. Yeah, Danger yeah. Will Robinson. Bob Crane, Colonel Ho- Robert Hogan, Hogan's Heroes. June Foray, who is probably the most uh, prolific voice actor in history. Yep. Just to mention one of her m- most famous roles, she was Granny in the Looney Tunes, you know, the Tweety Bird. Yep. And Sally Kellerman, who was Major Margaret Hotlips Houlihan's in the movie MASH. And that was just in the first episode. <laughs> that was the uh, first season. No, yeah. All the seasons. Um, so yeah, it attracted a lot of talent, directing and writing talent, like we'd already mentioned Robert Block and Richard Matheson yep. and Charles Beaumont wrote some of my favorite episodes, which I'll talk about later. And um, so what I wanted to do before we got into the meat of our episode, uh, talking about our favorite Twilight Zone episodes, is I wanted to uh, just relay a, a kind of a strange story about the production of the show. And um, should I do creepy music? Uh, Eerie music? I think we'll do that in post. Pensive? Oh. But uh, so Boris Segal was a pretty prolific TV director uh, in the early days of the medium. And uh, he uh, uh, did a couple of episodes of The Twilight Zone, and one of them was called The Arrival, where uh, uh, a passenger plane lands uh, at an airport and taxis to the gate. So, of course, it did. 
and uh, when the ground crew uh, goes into the plane, they find it completely deserted. There's no crew, no passengers. And uh, so they call in the FAA to figure out what the heck's going on. And uh, the inspector, investigator from the FAA, uh, through the course of the episode, he comes to the conclusion that um, it's actually a figment of everyone's imagination. Because, yeah, there's some clues uh, like... uh, uh, when they're reading off the tail number of the plane, each person has a different number, and there's sort of some other clues that are given to that leads him to that conclusion. So uh, he says, as an experiment, what he's going to do is uh, he'll get he gets him to start the plane, so the propellers are spinning, and then he walks into the propeller of the plane. He says, when I touch the propeller, it'll disappear, and uh, that's what happens when he reaches the propeller. The plane disappears, and then everybody else that, that's in the uh, hangar with him. And uh, people disappear as well. Yeah, the people that are with him that are helping him investigate disappear too. Uh, I can. Get so it's was not, he just? A, yeah, it's not one of the best Twilight Zone episodes. But what the point? Uh, the point of the episode is he had investigated a previous crash. He was like he's a real hotshot FAA investigator, and he'd investigated another crash, and it's the only one that he could never figure out. And I guess it's kind of driving him crazy, and he's imagining all this. Incredible. Yeah. So. Uh, Boris Segal, he uh, went on to uh, direct a TV movie in 1981 called World War III, and he's doing uh, aerial footage in the northeast of the U.S., and uh, when they're done for the day, uh, his helicopter lands in the uh, parking lot of the Timberline Hotel in Oregon, which, by the way, is uh, the hotel that provided the exteriors for the Overlook in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Please, uh, please listen to Nerds Talking Episode 6 for more information. Oh, yeah, exactly. Stephen King, our Stephen King episode. Um, So when the plane lands, a helicopter lands, he gets out, but he turns the wrong way, and he walks right into the tail rotor of the helicopter, and he dies in surgery in Portland uh, later on. But uh, wait, that's not the Serling-esque twist. The Serling-esque twist is that previously, uh, Boris Segal had directed the pilot episode to combat which starred Vic Morrow, who of course died during the production of Twilight Zone, the movie. And a helicopter crashed and decapitated him. So, so how come uh, 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 Twilight Zone doesn't have the curse hanging over it, like everybody says about uh, Superman the movie, because of um, Martin Brando and Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve? Uh, they always come up with these weird... Oh, the show, everybody from it must be cursed. Or uh, uh, Poltergeist. Or Poltergeist. Yeah. And um, uh, why not this show? Because it sounds like uh, there's some connections there. Yeah. There's probably a lot of stories you could you could tell about that. You could make those connections, but I don't know. It's funny that that hasn't happened. That's a creepy story. Who's there? Who's on the line? Who is it? Okay, so uh, Chad has joined us now. Hey. We have Chad. Who? Chad. No. No. Not Never heard of him? Not familiar? Not, no. <laughs> I'm the Pete Best of this podcast. <laughs> coo, coo, coo. You mean James Best. Roscoe P. Coltrane. Was Lee he Marvin. on the list of all oh. the amazing people that were on the show? We'll I don't play know about it back amazing. for you. Yeah. I don't know about amazing. If you've got half an hour, we'll play it. He for was you. an actor who appeared on the Twilight Zone, and he's pretty good. But uh, 
what I wanted to do now is uh, throw it to you guys first uh, to see if you had any particular episodes of the Twilight Zone, the original series that you wanted to talk about. Maybe Ross, you can start us off. Well, because of the, uh, I think the the obvious one I'll go with first because of the uh, discussion we had about the similarities between the social commentary and Twilight Zone to Star Trek is, of course, William Shatner and Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Right. Very young Shatner, pre-toupee. Right. So, still has uh, hair. Still has his hair. Yeah. Uh, and one of the all-time, I think, best episodes of that series, and a truly creepy. William Shatner plays a guy who's been who has suffered a nervous breakdown. Yep. He's, he's he's on the plane with um, I think it's, is it his wife yeah, or is he his, his wife? His wife. And they're flying back home, and he's obviously he's been through some trauma, and he's recovering. And he's the only one who sees this gremlin on the wing out through the window, the port window. Right. Uh, trying to damage the plane. And he keeps trying to call over the stewardess. Um, to, and every time they open the window, it's not there. You and mean roll up the blind? Roll up the blind. Not actually, <laughs> actually open the window. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets sucked out. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> There's no gremlin. Uh, yeah. They pull up the blind. And of course, he's not there. Except well, for the one great... time yeah. where they do pull up the blind and his face yeah. is right there. Yeah, that's a great scene. And uh, uh, finally, Shatner gets, uh, you know, um, prompted to action. Yeah. Uh, because he can see he's pulling out the wires to the engine right. and he knows uh, things right. are bad. And uh, uh, finally, they have to land the plane in an emergency. They think he's had a nervous breakdown. Everybody's, you know, his wife is very, it's like, they're there, dear. Yeah. Yeah. But as the camera pulls away and being willed away, you can see the damage to the wing. Yeah. It was real, damn it. Yeah. It was real. Yeah. So that's my favorite episode because it's yeah. William Shatner. Yeah. They got, I always remember the uh, gremlin as this guy in a big rug suit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly they yeah. reused it for the Gorn and, and Star a, Trek exactly there's a alligator there's place. a scene where uh, Shatner sees him on the on the wing and he's like stewardess stewardess come here and he points at it and the and the and the gremlin uh, I guess ostensibly is supposed to be flying away but he's just on a wire and he goes he just kind of gets yanked off the the wing you can sort of tell it's and well, for the kids at home who want to see a color version of it that same story is told again in Twilight Zone the movie right. with John Lithgow. Yeah. Who does hysterical better than anyone? Yeah. Oh, John Lithgow's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, directed by um by George Miller. Oh that's, yeah. Uh, that's Mad sequence. Max same. Yeah, the Mad Max guy. Now, was uh was uh John Lithgow wearing a William Shatner mask or or toupee to reap to play that <laughs> character? No, he had all his missing hair himself. He had all the missing hair. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, they went for yeah. authenticity instead of, you yeah. know. True remake. Yeah, John Lithgow is so good. He's just in general a really great actor, but he's really good in that too. Just this put upon. He's hysterical. Well, oh yeah. I mean, his role in Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai is is one of my favorite. Doctor Lazardo. Yeah, he's just laugh for while you can, the, the monkey, monkey boy. boy. Yeah, it's just perfect. <laughs> he's a perfect actor. Yeah, he's a guy that'll just go balls to the wall. He's got. Yeah. He's fearless. Right. Yeah. He's one of those fearless actors. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say something, Chad. <laughs> no, he thought say, about it. I was going to say threw in breath. I was I was going to say something because he played. He was in World According to Garp. Oh, which of course. Was one of my yeah, favorite that's probably the first time I'd ever seen him. Pretty sure. Probably, but, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, very apropos for this day and age. Where, yep. Yeah, he's a trans uh, yeah, football player, former football player, tackle right. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. He's the uh, Peter the Jennings of. What's his, what's his <laughs> Bruce, first name? Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner. Jenner. Yeah. Jenner. Yeah. Right. Uh, was that Lithgow's first role? I don't know if it was his first one, but it was the first one that I've I, noticed. I yeah. saw him. Yeah, it might be his first movie role. I have to just look yeah, that I up. Yeah, I think it might. If it's not the first, it's, one, it's very close to. But he, yeah, he's, yeah. 
Lithgow is one of those guys that just you just he's the camera really loves him. He he becomes a character, right? He's not like Tom Cruise is always. No, he's a, a character. Tom he's Cruise. a true character actor. He's not yeah. a handsome man. No, by, by any stretch. Kind of Would you call him a character like actor? Yeah, I'd call oh, him yeah, a for sure. John Lithgow. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Because sure. isn't he, can, he always John Lithgow? And it's just about the craziness of the script. Uh, maybe because if you look at like Harry and the Hendersons, which I watched recently, yep. you know why he's and it was really fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was great to watch with the kids. We're, okay. we're working through Sean. I've only seen that once, but I think so, in the mid eighties he did a bunch of movies where that was definitely true, where he was just sort of yeah. playing a character that was probably not too much of a stretch for him. Yeah, but yep. I think he's yeah. he. Uh, the other thing I kind of remember him from is uh, he was a bad guy in Cliffhanger. Remember that? Oh yeah, the <laughs> terrible Sylvester Stallone. He did yeah. this movie he's called good. Raising Cane. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that the was one. a Brian yeah. De Palma. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> not not one of Brian De Palma's best, but he was scary <laughs> he, in that movie. He was good in that movie. He yeah. was scary. Yeah, just not a great. He's movie. always good. He's one of those guys that in a terrible film, he's always the best part. Sure, of it, right? he's a very reliable. Yeah, um, yeah, and then I think. Uh, uh, you know, we were mentioning earlier about the, the the brilliance that Rod Serling brought to Twilight Zone is yeah. that you couldn't. There were things that you could you couldn't talk about if you were doing just a you know 1950s 1960s contemporary story. Yeah. Things that you know Leave It to Beaver would would not touch with the ten foot pole. You could do in the context of this fantastical anthology series. Right. And one of my favorite um, is the one with the uh, the woman who's in a car accident and she's had to undergo surgery yep. and at the, you know towards the end. Uh, she comes out of it, and they they unveil her, and she's this beautiful woman. And 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 but the doctors are saying we're very very sorry. We did all we could. It's the, it's a failure. We failed. We failed. Yeah. And they hold up a mirror, and you know she screams because. Uh, and then the camera cuts to the doctors who pull finally finally pull away their yeah they're always their, in shadow they're always in shadow or they're wearing yeah. their, their their surgical mask yeah right and they're pig faced exactly. so obviously she doesn't look like them. She's now the outsider. She's right. something horrible. Right. Whereas, of course, we would think of her as being right. the epitome. That of beauty. might be the uh, the quintessential t- uh, Twilight Zone twist. I think yeah. everybody yeah. talks about that twist, that Serling esque twist. Well, the old Henry twist that he had. Yeah. yeah, but the other one, of course, the other one that that is also one of my favorite, just because it's Burgess Meredith and you know he was the Penguin, uh, <laughs> is the one where you know there's this 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 social ad cast, this loner of a guy, all he wants to do is read books. He doesn't yeah. want to be interrupted. He's, a, he's want to interact. He's got a shrew of a wife. He's yeah, kind of he's, he's like, he wants everybody boss. to go away and he yeah. gets his wish. <clears throat> you know, some some apocalypse, we don't know. Yeah. Suddenly everybody's gone. I think that uh, when he picks up the, he goes to the safe, He re, every noon at lunch, he goes down to the safe to get some peace and quiet and he reads and he's got the newspaper with him and I think they say, uh, they talk about the neutron bomb or something like right, that. Right, which would paper, so which that, would kill people but leave buildings intact. Yeah. So at the end, you know, he's got the entire world to himself, especially the library, and he's so yeah. excited. And then uh, he stumbles, and in trying to find his glasses, his glasses fall off. He's got wearing bottle glasses, and trying to find the glasses, he steps on them and he breaks them. Dope. Now he can't read. Yeah, they've made ever, the, ever, yeah. ever again. <laughs> they show it that. A cu- there's a couple of scenes where he takes the glasses off for whatever reason. Everything's fuzzy, yeah. so they kind of yeah. show that he's fucked. So he couldn't go somewhere else since the world has now been wiped of people and, and yeah. find another pair of glasses somewhere. Well, you can't you can't navigate. It, everything is so blurred. I he's, guess that's true. Yeah, he's he's, he's right. at a loss. Well, like I was telling Ross, uh, and you had mentioned you've mentioned already, is Twilight's on the movie. At the beginning of the movie, there's a little uh, prologue where it's Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. You want to see something really scary? <laughs> they're driving in a car and they mention that episode and uh, Albert Brooks is saying that, uh, oh, I was so scared when I was a kid, I brought another pair of glasses just in case that happened. 
Uh, I'm a particular fan of Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Right. Yes. Right. A very social. Again, again, a very, very social commentary point of, about communism and the fear of the unknown and, and the other and, the com- other. and conforming. Yep. And the, it's, it couldn't be more prevalent uh, these days, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, oh, Muslims. It's Muslims everywhere. That's right. It's your next door neighbor. Yeah. You never know. What's he doing it's the there? cell, the Muslim in a cell, sleeper cell that's going to like get the call and then they're going to go do something, right? It's still the same fears of your neighbor. Well, and so influential. I, I think I've told you guys, I've, I don't know if you've seen Trigger Effect, but it was a movie in the I think late 90s with uh, Elizabeth Shue and Kyle MacLachlan. Right. And it was the same sort of premise where the lights go out, the power goes off, and, you know, day one you're like, okay, well let's let's we'll eat everything in the fridge you know and and what suddenly it's a week and you only have the cash you have and and now you're fighting with your neighbors about who has a generator who's ho- holding out who has something you don't have and everybody feels threatened by the other and right. it's very much the uh, real nod to that episode which just sort of underscores the the importance of that show and what we're really missing these days is the idea of a psychological horror show Right. I mean, there wasn't anything really, truly horrific about the Twilight Zone. No. It was more of a, it played with your mind. There was, Whereas yeah. now we've got The Walking Dead, which is very visceral, with guts <laughs> right. every, you know, flying everywhere. Right. Um, people screaming while their guts are flying everywhere. But there's no real show like The Twilight Zone that, that scares the pants off you without really, yeah. because it plays with your mind, with your deepest, darkest fears. We don't right. have something like that. I don't, do you watch uh, Orange is the New Black? I have. I watched the first season and part of the second season. Okay, so the fourth season is just just came to Netflix. Right. And uh, is, that the, is that the one where they sing through every episode? It's like a song and dance. I fucking wish. <laughs> is that cop rock? I musical? wish it was a musical. <laughs> All those lady voices. But anyway, the uh, so in in so far, I'm halfway through the season, and Twilight Zone's been referenced twice. Okay, interesting. Right? In the last episode, it was just like uh, I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone, but. In the the episode before, this, the prison counselor is walking along the racetrack, like the running track, with this woman who clearly has mental problems, right? Yeah. And he's determined that she has schizophrenia. Like, and they they show backstory so that you know that his mother had schizophrenia, and so he he, that, he yeah, identifies, yeah. Right. you know, this quickly. Right. And while he's terrible at his job, he really reaches out to her. So they're walking, and he tells her the story, uh, tells her about a Twilight Zone episode. And I guess is comparing schizophrenia to the dollhouse episode Hmm. where he says, you know, uh, his, he said his mother loved this one episode of Twilight Zone where these two people were trapped in a house and everywhere they went, they couldn't get out. And then they would go to the window and there'd be a giant eye looking at them. And at the end, you find out that there's a little girl out there and basically they're two Barbie dolls. Right. And so he compared this whole episode to having schizophrenia. Right. Well, that's about incredible. the trap and the voices that they would hear and and not be able to get away from this prison that they're in. So a cultural mentally. reference in a, in a 2016 Netflix show referring to a show from the late 50s, early 60s that was remade in the 80s and early 2000s, yeah. but otherwise yeah. has been away from the cultural zeitgeist for a very long time. And an entire show is is talked about in an episode of Orange Is the New Black. Yeah, he's the right the full rundown. You know, is probably a five minute sequence, and it's it's like it. They were so poignant. They were so allegorical themselves, right. and to use them as allegories in modern days, you know, perfectly. But nobody's heard sensible. of the Twilight Zone except the three of us right now. <laughs> 
I think a few other people. There's been lots of references, cultural references. Well, so Twelve years. more people will soon know of the show <laughs> yeah. once they listen to this. And they'll have a they'll, I, and they'll know every actor that <laughs> appeared on it. <laughs> they will. They'll be busy scribbling notes <laughs> until they figure they At can the pause it you and start again. Do a disclaimer, sharpen your pencils, people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So um uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. Was there another one you had? Yeah, or? I I really love. I guess it might have been the first episode. It was the the uh, and was it, I don't. I'm thinking it's Chuck Connors. I don't know. Is, is Chuck Connors on your no, list? No, he wasn't. His, oh, we, let's redo the list. Can we go back to the list? <laughs> can you go back? Can you read list? it again? Chuck Connors yeah. was the one actor in Hollywood who was not on that list. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was the one where the guy runs from building to building and it seemed like somebody was just there, but they're never there. Yeah. Much like the episode that you you mentioned. And he runs over to the truck and there's a mannequin and the mannequin falls out. And right. There's a lit cigarette burning in an ashtray. And at the end, you find out he's in a, um, a deprivation chamber. Right. You know, and he's being tested for the military to be able right. to travel in space. Right. Right. And he's just lost his shit entirely. Yeah. yeah. I love it's that called, episode. It's called Where Is Everyone? Yeah. Is it the and first it, episode? It was the first episode. Yeah. There we go. So yeah. Serling did a pilot for The Twilight Zone. It was called uh, The Time Element. And it was about a guy who goes back in time. He finds himself, for whatever reason, I can't quite remember, but he finds himself back uh, just before Pearl Harbor, in Pearl Harbor. And he's trying to warn everybody, and everyone's like, eh, you're crazy. And then the Japanese attack. And uh, he did that as a pilot, but it was never aired. Uh, but CBS bought the series, and the first one was Where Is Everyone? I'm not sure if that was the first production episode, but it was definitely the first Most one. Most likely that not. Aired. I mean, yeah. they, they didn't do them in the same order. Yeah, it was the first one that aired. Yeah. It's Earl Holloman, is the actor that's in it. Earl Holloman? Yeah, that so, character actor. And then my other favorite episode. Yep. And uh, is The Last Flight, which was one of the oh, one-hour yeah. episodes. <laughs> really? One hour? What it was a one-hour one, yeah. And, it was, you know, the premise is you have this World War yeah. One, Two. World War... No, World, a World oh. War Two fighter shows up. No, no, you're no, right. World, World War, War One, one. Yeah. fighter shows up yeah. in circa 1959. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kim flies out of the clouds. And he's like... He lands on this uh, Air Force base where there's jets and everything. That's right. And he lands this, this uh, what do you call the biplane? A biplane, like a yeah. sop with camel yeah. or something. And so everybody... He's all British, I think. It's an air base in Britain right? that he lands on. And he's British. He's a British pilot. And so they're trying to assess him. Where did this guy come from? His story checks out. Yeah. Who he says he is checks out. But that guy died long. He disappeared. And uh, he flew into the clouds and never was never seen again. It was, right. you know... One of those. Uh, right. So, did it start as a half hour, went to one hour? Or did it start yeah. as a one hour and go to half, half an hour. hour? I think it was always half an hour, except for season four. I think, uh, yeah, season four. Was that the color <coughs> season two? No, no, no they're all black and white. It's never color. Um, they went to an hour because uh, um, they were put in as a replacement for some other show. So he had to do. He had to stretch into an hour, and I'd say. Definitely season four is my least favorite season. I don't know, think there's one I can pick out of there that I actually like. You know? Other than the one that we just heard Yeah, from. I, I'm okay. really sure, though, that's a half-hour episode, The Last Flight. I don't know. I yeah, don't think so. I think it's a half-hour episode. It was a really good one. The guy that plays the uh, pilot is really good. Well, it also, when you see Wonder Woman, the uh, Linda Carter series, yep. it has... The episode reminds me so much of that show. Because in the beginning... As a kid, I didn't realize that it was a period piece. Mm. I thought one because it had it was filled with disco music, right? Right. And yet, it's it's set in yeah. World War Two. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
And so, it, it, anyway, that episode always reminded, when I started watching Wonder Woman the series again, it, it, which is unwatchable. Like, I like a lot of old TV shows, but Wonder Woman is really an unwatchable show. Right. Um, I just remembered that that's a half-hour 1960 uh, episode. The Last Flight is? Yeah, yeah. It just it, felt like an it hour. Just, it just, uh, I, I'm amazed I forgot about this, but yeah, I'm just, is it, uh, season it one? just came back to me. It's season one, uh, Well, right? it's 1960, so... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's season one. Yeah, it sounds like it's season one. And uh, it was a great episode. That's interesting that you picked that. It's not one written that by Richard Matheson. Pick. Yeah, Richard Matheson. There you go. So was uh, Nightmare on at twenty thousand feet was a Matheson. Yeah, Richard Matheson, who wrote uh, wrote for Star Trek another. Yeah, fantastic. I love that next stop. Next stop, Willoughby. Oh my God, that's another, another great one. Great episode. Yeah. I have um, yeah, that is so good. So I have a book by Rod Serling that's the from the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I think there's only seven sort of novelizations in the beginning. It's like, they're just, they're the introduction describes them as short stories that he wrote as if he wrote these short stories and then from them made a show. Right. And that might be true. Like they're really well written and and he wrote wrote a lot. He wrote a lot of the episodes. He wrote 71, 71 episodes. Majority of the episodes were written by Rod Serling. Which is pretty impressive right there. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 Very prolific. Yeah, but, but he, but you know, he he's unpublished otherwise. Like he's written screenplays. He hasn't. You know, this is the only thing that I know of that he actually wrote. Mister Chambers, don't get on that ship. The rest of the book to serve men. It's it's a cookbook. So the uh, baseball player episode. Yeah, the mighty he, Casey. Uh, he was, you know, the mighty Casey. He was an amazing player who, in the end, they find out he's a robot. Dun, dun, dun. And they do a Westworld shot where face comes off and you see all the circuits. Yeah. Or the the robots from uh, uh, the $6 million man. I always remember oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all circuits. Yeah. Really, really badly done. <laughs> like just a couple of blinking lights and metal yeah. things. But yeah. 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 Jack Warden is in that episode. He's the coach. It's oh, one, of a couple, one of a couple of episodes of yeah. so the Twilight Zone that he did. Chico and the Man, man. So the Chico. I remember, if I remember correctly, the episode is uh, there's the uh, Jack Warden is a coach of this team. I don't know if I think it's made up, right? It's a major league baseball, but it's not like uh, you know the no, it wasn't the Cardinals. Or wasn't whatever. the Cubs or the Yankees? I don't know. I maybe sure uh, it was I'm, the Yankees, yeah, maybe actually. I shouldn't say that. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is the Yankees. Um, <clears throat> probably because Serling is from New York, so it's probably the Yankees. But uh, so he's the coach of this uh, team, and they're terrible. They're the bottom of the league. And uh, this guy shows up. This guy always looks like Henry Kissinger, although I don't think it's Henry Kissinger doing a cameo <laughs> in the Twilight Zone. But he looks like him. And he's, got a, him. he's got a. He's got a. He's uh, got somebody with him. Uh, he's all dressed up like a baseball player, and he's like, uh, "I want to." His name's Casey. I want him to try out for your team. So Jack Warren goes, "I got nothing to lose. So go ahead." And. Uh, he like is hitting the ball like out of the park every time, and he. I think he tells him right away, Chad. It's not that it's a, it's, a, it's the twist isn't that he's a robot. Um, he uh, uh, he puts the he says this guy plays great. Okay, let's put him on the team, and then somebody complains because it's supposed to be like eight men playing right. on a side. They say something like, "There's no rule saying a robot can't play." Yeah, something like that. But then they come to a decision. That if he has a heart, then he can play. So the scientist goes, okay, I can do that. So he gives him a heart, and then suddenly Casey won't hit any balls, and he won't catch any balls because he doesn't want to disappoint anybody because he's got a heart. 
so he won't play with the uh, aggressive, you know, killer right. instinct because he's got a heart. He doesn't want to upset anybody, so they let him. And I'm sure the Casey name isn't isn't by accident. That's yeah. of course referring to Casey at the bat. Yeah, exactly. Right. He is not human. How human do you want him? He's got arms and legs and a face, and he talks and no heart. He doesn't even own a heart. How could he be human without a heart? Beasley hasn't got a heart either. He owns forty percent of the club. Anyway, I'm gonna pick my uh, highlights from the Twilight Zone, the original series. And um, can I ask get how many comfortable, pages everybody? Yeah. <laughs> how many pages are we talking about? Exactly. I'm gonna forego the really um, super popular episodes. Excellent. Like you guys have already mentioned, um, uh, the mom- monsters are due on Maple Street, which is a classic nightmare at twenty thousand feet. Third from the sun. Time enough at last is one you mentioned with Burgess Meredith. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Eye of the Beholder is another one. So I'm gonna uh, forego all those ones. And uh, what I'm going to do is pick out the ones that, for me, I'm a, I'm a real fan of the uh, mindfuck episodes. They make you question reality. The, you're thinking afterwards, you know, what does the episode mean to these people, uh, to these characters that you've seen? So um, the first one I'm picking is uh, Perchance to Dream, which is uh, from the first season. He takes that title from Hamlet. It's about a guy with a heart condition who stumbles into a psychiatrist's office and he claims that he uh, can't go to sleep or he mustn't go to sleep because there's a woman in his dreams. He's having recurring dreams of this woman and uh, she's going to kill him in his dream. And if he dies, he's going to die in real life. It's a Charles Beaumont episode and Charles Beaumont, uh, the episodes he's written are some of my favorites because he, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's a student of Philip K. Dick, but he, he writes these ones where you question reality, where you're, it's about paranoia and is is real real. What what is reality? Didn't he play uh, Beaver's dad on Leave It to Beaver? Ward Cleaver. Isn't that <laughs> Charles Beaumont? Hugh I Downs. Don't... <laughs> Hugh Downs of twenty twenty. <laughs> no, it's Hugh. It's Hugh. Is this? Well, I don't know. Hugh Downs was the host of twenty twenty way back when. But he might be Hugh. Maybe it's Hugh Beaumont. Maybe Hugh Beaumont. It's yeah. Hugh Beaumont. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's That's definitely what... Hugh. Because we it? have a card at the store that has a picture of him and says, uh, "Thank you." Very thank, much, or I, thank something, you. Something, something, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. With a picture of Hugh Bohuha. No, no. Please continue. So the guy is—he's uh, talking to the psychiatrist, and he uh, makes these great points. Like he uh, looks at a painting on a wall, and it's a painting of a boat. And uh, he tells a story to the psychiatrist about how when he was a kid, his mom said, just look at the painting, and if you look at it hard enough, it'll start moving. I think that's tapping into. Uh, probably something everyone has done in their childhood, right? Where you, you're looking at this really super realistic painting and it's like, what happens if this comes to life? And uh, he's telling the guy that he was able to make the picture move, but then it got out of control. He couldn't control his imagination and it was going to make him see things that weren't there. When he was a kid, he would dream in serials in sequence and there would be like a story told and then just recently, he's starting to see this woman in his dreams. He's in an amusement park in his dreams, and everything's all cockeyed. It's like, it might, I don't know if it's the first time you see it in, in the Twilight Zone, but it's got all those Dutch angles, right? Oh, Where yeah. everything's all, the shots are Batman all. Batman TV show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're all akimbo, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's been awake for like over 48 hours trying to keep from falling asleep so this woman doesn't come and kill him. It kind of reminds me... Uh, it's a guy that's having uh, the same dream and he's living, he's living out this whole scenario in just a matter of seconds. 
well, I guess I should probably explain. So, uh, for the rest of the episode, so, uh, the guy's explaining all this to the psychiatrist and then he eventually says, you know, you can't help me doc. And he goes to leave the uh, office and he goes into the reception area and he stops in a panic because he looks and it's the woman from his dreams is the psychiatrist secretary. So he freaks out and turns around and goes running back through the guy's office and jumps out the window right. and kills himself. And then it cuts and the psychiatrist is uh, just sitting there calmly and he's looking over at the guy who's still lying on the couch. And uh, he calls in the secretary and she does indeed look like the woman when the guy's been explaining the dream. It's the same woman. And uh, the psychiatrist explains to her that the guy came in, the psychiatrist told him to lie down on the couch and the guy did. And, uh, he had fallen, he fell asleep right away. And then within seconds, he had let out a scream and died of a heart attack. And the punchline of the episode being the psychiatrist says, well, at least he died peacefully. And then there's uh, Serling's, uh, outro narration where he says, you know, it's like, they say a dream lasts only a few seconds but within those seconds a man can live a lifetime and uh who's to say which is the better reality kind of reminds me of the tng episode in inner light oh of course you know, where, where picard, picard is falls zapped. to the floor and yeah he's zapped by the alien probe and he lives an entire entire life yeah pretty much just so know. that this culture could pass along what they yeah you know, and it's all the whole thing takes place in about twenty five minutes. That's right. real time in yeah. the episode. Which is probably so, one of the best episodes they ever did. Yeah, yeah, that's tour de force. You know that Patrick Stewart's son would played his son <laughs> in that episode. I was trying yeah. to think. I'm, I'm pretty sure his hair is long gone. If he's anything like his father, uh, I don't know. I have missing. Been, I haven't been following. You haven't his, following. I haven't Picard, followed his career. Picard Stewart's son. No, I, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't follow him on Twitter. So I don't. Right. Right. So another episode uh, I want to highlight is, um, it's called The World of Difference. This one's a little bit easier to explain, I think. So it's about uh, a guy, a businessman who just goes to his uh, office and he talks with the secretary, gets the day's agenda or whatever, and then he um, goes into his, his, his office and he uh, sits down and he goes to make a phone call. And it's like the phone's not working. So he gets up. See Rogers? He gets up and he's going to go, you know, talk to a secretary, see what's going on. And all of a sudden he hears somebody say, cut. And then he looks and the wall of his office is missing and it's just a film crew looking at him. And uh, turns out maybe, you know, apparently his name is Arthur Curtis. And apparently the, he isn't Arthur Curtis at all, but he's an actor named Jerry Regan who's like maybe having a nervous breakdown or going crazy. Interesting. And everybody's like, you know, Jerry, you got to snap out of it. You know, they're going to bounce you from the picture. And he's like, I'm Arthur Curtis. I am Arthur Curtis. And uh, he's got a shrew of a wife that's like trying to get money from him. And his agent's like, you know, you got you to gotta snap out of this. And then at the end, he runs back into the set as they're breaking it because they've canceled the, the film because they figure the guy's gone crazy, right? And uh he uh, goes back into the set and he sits down in his chair and he's like, don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. And then he kind of looks up and it's, everything's back to normal. He's like, his wife comes cause they're going on a vacation. He's like, let's get out of here quick. And they see the guys on the f- f- set are like, where did he go? What happened to this guy? And it's like, he's, has he escaped? 
Is he, is he a crazy man who, uh, an actor who's just gone crazy or is he a guy that was trapped in another person's life for a little while? Like you, you don't know, you can't tell. It, it leaves you on a, on a kind of an ambiguous ending when it's uh, really good. I like the ambiguous endings. You were right. People are alike. People are alike everywhere. You see, I love, I love, anth- I love Twilight Zone because it's an anthology series and I love, the uh, TNG because it's an, anth- like you said, it's an anthology, it's an anthology series. I love that where it's just, I don't want a long arc like Babylon five or deep space nine, oh, where Babylon they have those five. big, long fucking arcs, the dominion fuck war. Yeah, yeah. I just want, sure. It might seem kind of ridiculous that there's these one off. There's one off. Oh, there's always some crazy thing happening and it starts at the beginning and there's a resolution at the end, but I like that. I like well, of course. just where, you know, it's self-contained. Sometimes you just want to watch a few episodes that maybe carry a story or individual one-offs. Like X-Files used to be great for that. Yeah. Where it'd be like, here's an episode. Oh, it's and those were the best. Standalone from everything else. And this is why like their little resurgence was much like that. It was it was like, these are really have, they're apropos of nothing. Right. You know? Um, they'd have the one little thread that you could discard yeah, they, if you didn't want it. Yeah, they had the mythology episodes where it's like this big conspiracy about which were sister and blah, blah, blah. In general, the worst. The best yeah. ones were like the the guy that could crawl through vents. Yeah, yeah exactly. Coombs. But then yeah. you have like Game, Game of Thrones yeah. that it's like, how many seasons are we at now? Seven. Six. Six. Yeah, it was six. Yeah, we just did six. We just finished six. Six yeah. seasons of one story. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad next year is the last. And I love this show. I love it. I yeah. love Game of Thrones. It but I'm glad so next year is the last season. Right. Because the show, the story has to wrap up. It's hard to believe there are people there. People like us. People like us. It's the third planet from the sun, Bill. It's called Earth. That's where we're going. To a place called Earth. So I would say that what has to be understood about Twilight Zone is that yes. it's not just a TV show. No. It, you know, while Orange is the New Black can pull an allegory out of an episode to convey something about schizophrenia, I think that we watch these shows and we can pull these things out. We've all talked about episodes we like and they're because we've pulled something from them. You know, they mean something to us. Right. And most TV shows don't do that. No matter how good a show is, back to Game of Thrones, it's a great show, but really there's nothing... You don't, you don't, you don't take no away... The human condition isn't something you, you ruminate on after watching an episode of Game of Thrones. That's right. right. Like when I watch the guy running around from, from vehicle to vehicle... Even though there's a, uh, you know, the John Irving grill parser at the end where bum, 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 he's just in a box and he's freaking out. All the way up until that episode, uh, up until that part of the episode, it's that, you know, he's alone, you know, and he's panicked and he's anxiety ridden and he, you know, where is his place in the world? You well, know? I think Twilight Zone was very much a product of, the, of that 50s anxiety, which spawned the UFO par- paranoia, the invasion of the body snatchers, the right. um, you know uh, Mars, uh, not the Mars attacks, but what the, the incredible uh, Mr. Limpet. Sure, <laughs> sure. Damn fish, um, damn fish. There so was there, there was that there was a, there was a general feeling of uh, of uncertainty and right. unease because of of uh, the nuclear situation, right. you know? atomic age, yeah. the right. atomic age. They did a couple of great episodes about that. 
but you I, and I don't think the Twilight Zone could have could have come out of any other age because it 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 uh, it, it took it took that that unease and that paranoia and and managed to create weekly episodes that made us think more about the human condition you know to be honest we can whitewash the 50s and think that you know everything was very leave it to beaver and everything was very suburban people were focused on their cars but does does television now really challenge us in the way that that the twilight zone did in the early 60s right. i'm not sure that they did no. i don't think there's anything that's as psychologically fascinating as the as the twilight zone was at the time yeah except maybe charles in charge that's true yeah or, or johnny loves but, you know in the 50s the 50s you know in 2016 and we look back at the 50s as being pink cadillacs and mm. elvis and marilyn and you know all everything Some was of us so do. beautiful and suburban houses with you know somewhere that's green like right. you know, a little shop Ask of horrors turf, yeah and it's but the reality is is that it was filled with McCarthy and McCarthyisms and um, racism and oh yeah no know, all this horror that and and we've come so far since then not yeah no well no we haven't in many ways we have though. well like, but we've gone a horrible circle from McCarthy to true. Trump we, we we've managed to connect right. a horrible circle yeah. but whereas because well, we still we'll always have always in fact we can go back way farther back than the fifties with politicians who knew how to make people afraid sure to rule sure. them sure. But what's interesting to me is the dichotomy of, of, of the, the media of the late 50s, early 60s in terms of television, which was very whitewashed, which was mm. very... You know, leave it to Beaver. There was, there was yeah. a very kind of uh, suburban uh, whitewashing of, of, of media television. And along comes the Twilight Zone, right. which in, in many ways tossed that on its ear. Well, it focused on the seedy side of life often as well, right? Sure. What, how people really lived. And how that got on the air is only because they couched it in this, oh, it's a fantastical anthology series. You right. know, who cares? It's not really about anything. Right. And yet he got that on. Whereas now, you know, we have The Walking Dead, we have Breaking Bad, but I don't think anything makes us think as much as The Twilight Zone did. Well, because nothing, nothing is really... About thinking anymore, like you, no. we can we can philosophize attached to Walking Dead. You know, there's there's lots to say. Oh well, how would you how it's would like, you run society? We could say it's like or, consumerism and just blind, you know, conformity. That was more Day of the Dead and and uh, zombie flicks of that era. Well, but, this is heavily influenced. By sure, that, sure. So, yeah. But there's nothing that really takes that and turns it on its head like the Twilight Zone did of 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 the uh, you know the media of of the, of its day. Right. Well, we could a use real that. commentary on society. Yeah, we could use that. Yeah. Frankly. Well, yeah. this is why, like, all those shows that came out in the '80s and '90s, and again in the early 2000s, trying to bring back the anthology, bring back the Alfred Hitchcock show. You know, they were they were never philosophical. Not you know? as no no nowhere near. But it's interesting. You could argue that those shows, macabre, right? those shows, uh, started and were encouraged by. A more um, Republican right-wing uh, uh, government of the day, which had that sort of rosy, uh, you know, morning in America. So you had the late fifties, early sixties, which was you know Eisenhower and um, you know a bur burgeoning American economy, right. and then it comes back in the eighties under Reagan. And then it resurges right. again under Bush in the early two thousand. Yeah, that's so funny. It's like a reaction to that. It is. Um, yeah. Sort of right wing. Uh, let's let's make America white again. Um, that <laughs> Trump is now. 
fuck how I, I really just want I, I would really love to do a daily show interview with a Trump supporter where you know yeah. oh, you know he's gonna win though that's the worst I know part, that's the right? worst part yeah. that's the worst part well that'll that'll be good because you know no it won't be good well it'll, it'll be, be horrible it will be it'll we be didn't good. visit to the states for eight years because I just couldn't bring myself to go there when Bush was the uh, right right well it'll be a good thing because thing. people will be horrified and then we'll get another uh, series of Twilight Zones because people are <laughs> you know reacting against this Maybe. horrible. If we live, if we live through the society next, that we have to complain about, the next if they years. can make shows after a nuclear yeah. bomb has been dropped in America, they're, uh, they're called shadow puppets on a wall. <laughs> That's right. With their horrible mangled stump of a hand. Yeah. Well, you yeah. mentioned uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents the revival, and uh, one episode. I, you know, thinking of that whole series, the one episode I always remember is there's a husband and wife, and the woman is raped one night, and uh, so they get they t- the husband takes the wife to the hospital, and she uh, you know is looked after, and then she gets better, and she finally gets out of the hospital, and her husband picks her up, and they're driving down the street, and suddenly the wife is like, she sees a man walking down the street, and she's like, that's him, that's him, that's the man who raped me, that's him right there, so. The husband, you know, pulls over and he follows this guy. And uh, I'm pretty sure that the the guy gets into a car and the husband comes in after and he pulls out a a rope or a, a string or something and he strangles the guy. And he, he's the guy that raped his wife. He's the guy that traumatized his wife so badly. And he finally, he gets out and he goes back to his wife in the car and they're driving away and they're... He's like, I did it. I, I did it. I got rid of him. You can, you can be better now. You don't have to worry about him anymore. And suddenly his wife sees another person walking down the street. He goes, that's him. That's the guy. That's the guy who did it. And the episode ends. That's the one I always remember from that series. You know, there was, a, there was a, in the, um, in that whole resurgence of, of uh, short storytelling, they had, there was the hitchhiker. Uh, right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's another yeah. one. And and I, I bring one. this up because as I was looking through the um, Rod Serling filmography, he wrote one. And I think it was the 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 prototype story. Well, wait a minute. That, he died in the 70s. He died in the early 70s. Yeah, he did. Well, he's he credited with a hitchhiker or something like that. Is that late? Maybe it's a story based on yeah, something. Or maybe he wrote. he wrote it and they made the first episode Quite based possibly. on it. Well, he, the, there's an episode in the original series called The Hitchhiker. The Hitchhiker. Yeah. It was a TV series, 2015, yeah, original teleplay. He wrote it. Wow. 2015. So that's just Can't last be, year. That's, 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 that's right. going to be a new Hitchhiker. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking of the ni- ni- Hitchhiker from the early 90s. Yeah. Which was a good yeah. one. There was one in that series. It was um, this... Uh, like a street person who was saying, can you spare some change or something like that? And somebody, they run over him and then they drag his body and he, he keeps showing up. And this woman's trying driving down. Like, it looks like it's probably Los Angeles going through the Hills, getting to her fancy house. And she keeps finding him again. And he's like, spare some change. And then she runs him over again. And then by the end, he's like a bloody torn mess. And, uh, I I can't remember how it ends, but that's, (laughs) You know, uh, I keep thinking he reminded me of Garrett Morris from right. SNL. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Hmm. Well, they made a movie about 
It's actually based on a real life story where a woman was driving home and she ran into a homeless guy and he got he smashed through her windshield and she drove home and parked the car in her garage and left the guy there. Remember that? It's no. actually based on a real story that somebody wow. did this and they made this a movie. Where? I don't know, I'm not sure. I don't know where hmm. it was. But uh Serling, you know, the original Twilight Zone episode is where this woman is driving and she keeps seeing the same, this hitchhiker, this guy who's dressed kind of shabbily. He's like, going my way. That's his, his catchphrase. And he's like trying to catch a ride. And he, she keeps seeing him this whole trip. And then it turns out at the end that she had been in a kind of a fender bender at the beginning of the episode, but it turns out she died. And the guy's like a harbinger oh. who's like trying to guide her to the afterlife. That's like the uh, the black and white horror movie about the woman that that dies and she doesn't know we we don't know it and she keeps seeing ghouls coming out of all around her what was that movie called right they did a quite a few of those there's the sixth sense no the sixth sense that kind of owes itself the frighteners no it was way it was in the early 60s of black and white and it was a groundbreaking film and the guy who did it only did like industrial films okay this is one his one and only um uh, fictional film and it was a huge influence on people and you, you, it's like it has that ending where you don't know she's dead until the very end and, right and it's you know she finally accepts that what she's seeing is um is is dead people then she's on her way but well, really sounds like the sixth sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was she bruce willis no but was you know, bruce willis she there's a you know again twilight zone is influential on so many things yeah. and it just i meant to say this earlier when you talked about your one of the episodes you liked about why didn't the, you because uh, eh, you probably just rambled on about shit or bill <laughs> started you talking on your about phone? the cast or the, <laughs> when you're on your phone the playing the crew. simpsons game maybe that's what you were doing <laughs> but you had talked one of the episodes i think candy crush is that I, what you it mean? was hard to it was hard to follow because you were just so far down i couldn't see you right but you uh, had some story about was it was the doctor's one where let's make her beautiful like oh we yeah. can't fix her and yeah. they're all pig-faced and she's beautiful right yeah, yeah. just right. like the monsters because there's the ugly cousin right yeah right. she's she's gorgeous right and she that. changed every season is she? Was it, yeah, it was like three different actresses. Right. Yeah, and they're like, oh, you're weird. And she's like this gorgeous right. like, So it could very true. well be that that was pulled directly from the Twilight Zone as well. Quite possibly. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing I always, the thing that's most obvious to me, the thing I always always think of is uh, pretty much every single uh, Simpsons Twilight uh, Treehouse House of, of Terror. Terror. Yeah. It's, they did so many spoofs. Like I, I'm thinking of the one where that you were talking about uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. They did right. one where Bart's on the school bus and there's a gremlin on the yep. side of the school yep. bus, yep. tearing it up. Well, unlike many shows, it permeated our pop culture. Yeah. Like it just we're saturated in the Twilight Zone, and people don't watch it because it's black and white. But then they make a color version, but it sucks. Right. It doesn't suck. It's just not. It's not as good. It's, it's great yeah. in the in the moment, and then you never watch it again. Yeah, right. you know. But it's That's like the same impact, yeah. You people should watch those black and white episodes they because damn they're, well they're so profound. Yeah, you know? and Rod Serling was a he was he might be one of the most important filmmakers of all time. Yeah, at least one of the most important writers. Definitely yeah. the most, like yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You know, well, Twilight Zone, Planet of the Apes, like yeah. these are things that will last. Entertain the entertainment business wouldn't be the same without. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not only. Uh, his, you know, the story's impact. It's also 
like I said in my long preamble with all the stars that were in, in the Twilight Zone, you know, I start, started a lot of careers. And uh, um, one thing we were talking about was the Night Gallery, which was his follow-up to the Twilight Zone in the 70s. Um, Steven Spielberg got a start uh, directing one of the segments. The one, the one with Joan Crawford. The one with Joan Crawford where she's blind and she's paying to get uh, an eye transplant, and she finally get, and she's screwing a lot of people over to get it, and then she finally has that, and she, they're going to take the the bandages off, and then there's a blackout, so she can't see anything. Instead of it's exactly, but that's how that's one of the Spielberg's earliest directing jobs. I don't know how involved Cerning was in Night Gallery, other than doing the intros. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it really was his baby in the same way that the, the Twilight Zone. I kind of think he's been he really st- fucked over by. Yeah, I think it started off where it was his follow up to the Twilight Zone, but it just got out yeah. of his hands. There was one. There was yeah. another one at the same time that well, Boris Karloff uh, narrated. I oh, that you're was right. But wasn't, was, that a, wasn't that a redo of Suspense or something like I, that? It might have been, but there was yeah. a competing around the same time. I'm gonna think I'm gonna wrap it up. All right. So. Uh, I want to thank my uh, team here for uh, indulging me with a mm. episode on the Twilight Zone. <laughs> what do you say, indulging in you, you? You groaned. Great I don't know. I didn't groan. Mm. That's not that indulging. It wasn't a groan. It was, <laughs> a, indulging it was, is it going was an affirmative, it was an affirmative a, side. I know I got along. here late. You're both kind of sweaty. And you, you've 45 had like, minutes. You had sparkles or something on your minutes. upper lip. That sparkles? I, th- I thought was sweat all night long. And now I think there's a sparkle. You have one sparkle Right around here. Were you doing some arts and crafts earlier? <laughs> Not that I know of. The bottle isn't supposed to go to I the... I may have experimenting with drugs. I know there's sparkles sure. that come off the labels of a beer bottle. But you're not supposed to put the bottle in that fire, okay? <laughs> How else am I going to no have matter, No matter what you want. How else am I going to have So fun? anyway, if uh, you want to contact us, you can reach us through Twitter. Uh, it's at NerdStockingPod. And if you want to reach us by email, it's nerds at nerdstocking.com. So... Good night.